Good morning. We're going to continue our character studies through Scripture with a look at someone who was a mighty man. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word mighty? Actually, yeah, Jake had it right. A lot of times you think of someone who's maybe really big and strong, someone muscular and powerful. Well, today we're going to look at someone who is strong and powerful and mighty in a different way. Someone who is mighty in the scriptures. We're going to look at the life of Apollos in the New Testament. Let's turn uh, in the book of Acts to chapter 18, starting at verse 24. Acts 18, 24. It's going to read a short passage from verses 24 to 28. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him, the way of God more accurately. And when, he, when, and when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Just a little background. This man is from, from Alexandria. Alexandria is a city on the northern tip of Egypt, but Ephesus is in Greece. This man is a long way from home. He's hundreds of miles from where he came from. And what's he doing? Well, it looks like Apollos was a traveling preacher of sorts. He went probably from synagogue to synagogue, preaching the word of God, but preaching what he knew of the word of God. He was preaching about the baptism of John. And uh, just by way of review, the baptism of John, John the Baptist was preaching a baptism of repentance. Repentance being a turning away from, really turning away from your sin and turning to a promised Savior who is coming, a promised deliverer. And this was something along the lines of what Apollos was preaching. Turn from your sins, turn to the Savior who is coming. Well, Apollos was serving the Lord in what limited way he knew how and trying to help people in the, best way he knew, in the best way he knew how. And we see with some of the apostles, this is probably how they started off. We see from the life of Andrew the Apostle and probably John that they both started off as apostles of John the Baptist, preaching this uh, need for people to repent of their sin. But he was missing, a, Apollos though, was missing a piece here. We don't know, but Apollos may have been doing this for several years, traveling around and preaching the baptism of John. But when he got to Ephesus, he met two people who would share something with him that would change his life life completely. In Ephesus, he met Aquila and Priscilla. Now, Don Robertson's going to take the message on Aquila and Priscilla next week, so I won't go into detail with them very much. But to give you a little background... Aquila and Priscilla had met the Apostle Paul in Corinth when he was traveling there. 
They were with Paul when he established the Corinthian church. And after Paul left Corinth, they traveled with him for a short time. They all went to Ephesus together. But when Paul left Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla stayed behind. And we find them here in the synagogue. Perhaps they're hoping to witness to some of the Jews there. And here they find Apollos. Now, it's not like Aquila and Priscilla interrupted Apollos one day as he was teaching. It says they took him aside. So I'm thinking one day as he was leaving the pulpit, perhaps Aquila and Priscilla asked if they could invite him over for dinner just so they could have a, some time to talk to him. And that evening, Aquila and Priscilla shared with him the gospel. Apollos already knew he was a sinner. He knew he was deserving of hell. He knew he needed a savior. He was still waiting for that person that John the Baptist spoke of. And here come Aquila and Priscilla, two traveling tent makers, telling Apollos that the one he was waiting for had come, that he had come, that he had died on the cross, and that he had rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, Apollos, it looks like he was a very intelligent person. You know, he was no dummy. He wouldn't have just believed that anyone was the Messiah. If you look in the history books, and you can look back... Um, Early in the book of Acts, there's actually a reference to some people who had already come as false messiahs. But when Aquila and Priscilla explained who Jesus was, and when Apollos saw that all the things in the Old Testament, everything that the prophets spoke of, everything in the scripture, pointed to this very person that Aquila and Priscilla were speaking of. Everything pointed to the Lord Jesus. There must have just been this moment where everything just clicked. Everything that Aquila and Priscilla said, speaking of the Lord Jesus, matched up perfectly with what he knew of the Christ from the Old Testament. Wow, he must have thought. This is the one I've been waiting for. Priscilla and Aquila, they saw a soul who was ready. Not just a person who was ready, but someone who was teachable. You know, Apollos could have easily been proud, being as learned as he was. He could have easily, um, you know, he came from a big city too. Alexandria was known for its scholarship. He could have easily thought to himself, you know, who are these two tent makers to instruct me in the scripture? I mean, could they, do they actually think they know something I don't? But they didn't know something he didn't. And he not only listened to them, but he obeyed the gospel that they shared with him. And you can just blink. You might might miss it. But it looks like between verses 26 and 27, Apollos was saved. And something right after he's saved, we see Apollos just kind of springing into action. In verse 27... It states Apollos desired to go to Achaia. Now, if you have a Bible with a map in the back, you'll see that Ephesus was across the water from Achaia. And there's one particular city in Achaia that looks like Apollos did a good amount of work in, a city that's mentioned quite a bit in Scripture. He went to Corinth. Now, why did, why did Apollos desire to cross into Achaia? He had just been saved, and now that he had been saved, 
he wanted to tell everyone he could about who the Lord Jesus Christ really was. And I think it's very possible, too. He wanted to go back to all those places he had been preaching at beforehand. Maybe um, approach the synagogues he had visited in the past and said, you know that person that I was preaching about who John the Baptist said was coming, who was not worthy to carry his sandals or loosen the sandal strap? Well, that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. It could be that perhaps um, Apollos had visited some synagogues in a cave before, and he wanted to go back and come back and tell people what the rest of the story was. Another possibility, too, was Aquila and Priscilla, they had just come from Corinth, and they saw, well, with Paul, they saw that this was a church that, you know, Apollos could really be put to good work at. Apollos had a gift in teaching, they saw, and he could really do some good work there. And so they exhorted the Achaean believers to receive Apollos. And we see in the scriptures, Apollos did, did do a good job. Of the work at Corinth, Paul writes in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I'll just read the verse. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. The Apostle Paul was the one involved in founding the Corinthian church. But Apollos was able to do a lot of follow-up. He was able to see that the church was nourished, that it would have the perfect environment to grow in. He probably shared with the believers there everything he knew from the Old Testament. And if there were any attacks or persecution from the Jews in that area, it says, Apollos vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Now, it looks like Paul, Apollos was an especially effective teacher. And it's probably in great, part, in great part due to what's said of him in verse 24. Let's turn back there for a moment. In verse 24, it says, He was an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. First, it says he was eloquent. Now, the Greek word used here, logios, it doesn't mean that uh, Apollos was someone who was especially skilled in using words or that he spoke in this, just this captivating manner that just wowed his audience. No, it doesn't refer to that. At first, the fact that he was very well learned. He had vast stores of knowledge, and he knew how to use it. That really speaks to how, um, probably how very diligent Apollos was, because, of course, this, is, this does not happen overnight. Apollos probably spent many hours, many days, many long nights, months, and years just studying the scripture. So he was eloquent, but then it also says he was mighty in the scriptures. Now, being mighty in the scriptures, it's not just someone who knows the word of God really, really well. It goes hand in hand there, but it's not the whole thing. The word mighty can also be translated powerful. It speaks of someone having such an ability such skill in something that when it's used, it carries a powerful impact. There's a palpable effect when someone uses their might in this way. And Apollos was this way in the scripture. Because if we look ahead in verse 28 again, when it says he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, that word refuted is a very strong word. If you look at, at the Greek definition, it's like he met the opposing arguments and cast them down to the ground. He was so skilled in the scripture that when he used the word of God, it carried a forceful impact. 
much in the scriptures. Now, we can actually be mighty in many things. I would, I would say just about everyone here has had some goal or ambition in life to be mighty at something, to be skilled in something. Perhaps you've longed to be skilled in a particular sport, you know, be the best baseball player, best softball player you can be. Perhaps you want to be mighty in a musical instrument. So good at, some, at playing a particular instrument that when people hear that piece you're playing, I mean, they're just floored. But let me ask you today, have you ever tried really hard at perfecting your wielding of the Word of God? You know, a tennis player might spend hours and hours and days and days trying to perfect a particular tennis stroke. A musician might spend hours and hours and months and months practicing just one piece so it comes out perfectly. You might be watching YouTube videos and just, how can I do this in the best way possible? But have you ever set out in your heart as a goal, I'm going to get skilled in the Word of God? And let's look for a moment at how wonderful the Word of God is. Because if we look at the Word of God, it's like there's nothing worth more, there's nothing more worth trying to master or spend our time on. Now, I did this as an object lesson uh, last year in prayer, but I'm going to use it with the Word of God today. Let's say you're going shopping one day and you're looking for different products on the shelves. And oftentimes when we look at um, different boxes, we look for the label, and we see, we look at what can this thing do? And, you know, we find all kinds of boxes out there and all kinds of products, that, and they have very appealing things. So let's say I look for at this, um, I'm looking at a box for a camera. And, well, it has this feature here. Well, it um, can store 10,000 pictures. It can run on two AA batteries for five months. Well, that's very nice. <laughs> or let's say um, I'm looking for a particular kitchen impl- impl- implement, something that I can use for my cooking. It says, okay, well, it's uh, rust-resistant. It can withstand high temperature, has a lifetime warranty. Mm, that's good. Or perhaps I'm into power tools. I see a drill that can go... Let's see, 1,400 RPM, six horsepower. Wow, yes. Yeah, plenty of, plenty of products out there have a lot of big claims, and they, you know, we're, we look at the label and we think, wow, I'd like to buy that or I'd like to use that. But let's say we put the Word of God in a box, and you're, um, you see the Word of God on a shelf, take it down, and you read the label here. Now, the label might, now beneath the title Word of God, it might say something like, living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Wow. I look at that, and I'm saying, okay, I better read, I better keep reading the label, see what else, what, what it can do. Wow. 
it says it can keep you from sinning. Because in Psalm 119, David wrote, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not, that I might not sin against you. Okay. I go on reading the label. Well, if I'm not sure in what direction my life is going, what I need to be doing in life, it can give me guidance. Because David wrote, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I keep reading. I see the word of God can bring me joy. It says the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And perhaps, you know, perhaps I'm feeling inadequate for a task that I know the Lord's given me. But then it says, wow, there's this, um, the next bullet says on 2 Timothy 3, 316-17. Wow, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, equipped for every good work. Wow, this is going to do many things. And then here's a big one. I read at the bottom here, I see, wow, the word of God contains the gospel message which is able to save a soul from hell eternally. I don't know about you, but if I look at a box like that, I'd like to open that box and use that. It's not just something you can open up instantaneously, though, and start using. One thing is, using the scripture takes a lot of work. I'm not saying becoming muddy in the scriptures is an easy thing to do. Perhaps some of you have been a little intimidated by studying the Bible in the past. I mean, it's a thick book. Some parts are hard to understand. In fact, even the Apostle Peter wrote one section, in, in 2 Peter he wrote, of some of Paul's writings that... There are some things hard to understand. And you might think, too, well, you know, I'm not really a studious person. I'm not into reading and studying. I didn't do that well in school. I'm not, I'm not a preacher or teacher either. It's, I mean, man, studying this doesn't come natural to me. But, you know, you're not alone in your study of the Scripture. You know, the word of God is not some, the word of God is not something you can just absorb by sheer willpower or just using all the might of your mind. It's something you have to ask the Lord for help with. Pray for the Lord to help you look into His Word to help you understand. And the Holy Spirit will give you understanding into what you're reading. And really, when we look at the Word of God, too, there's nothing more needful for a believer to be skilled in than the Word of God. And that's every believer, not just a preacher or teacher. In this book, in the Word of God is contained a way of saving a person's life eternally. Now, I've been working in the hospital for one worked in the hospital for almost five years, and I've been working in home health care for the past nine months. And one thing for all those people involved in health care, it's required that you um, always get certified in being a first aid worker. You have to be able to respond to a life and death scenario. How do you give CPR to an adult as opposed to an infant? 
How do you save a choking victim? Now, at least every couple of years, every healthcare worker has to take a certification test to make sure they still have those first aid skills to be able to respond to that kind of scenario if it comes across. And yet every day, every believer today is faced with the possibility of helping someone out in a life and death scenario. Yet every day we are surrounded by people who are unsaved, who if they die, they're going to an eternity in hell. And that person right next to you, you have the way of giving them, you can show them the way to eternal life. thing is, though, how well do you know the word of God? Like if someone came up to you in the street today and asked you, what must I do to be saved? Could you open your Bible and show them the scripture to lead them to the Lord? If there was a question of sin in someone's life, would you be able to show that someone that they are a sinner in need of salvation. And there's so many other things that can, come, can happen also. And perhaps there's a believer who's in need of encouragement. Could you point them to some passage of Scripture that they can take comfort from? Maybe one day you meet an inquiring person who really wants to know, what does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? Could you show them from your Bible that Jesus is God? Or perhaps there's someone that's just very confused, and they, you know, they've gotten wind of some false doctrine that someone else has shared with them. Could you show them what the what the Lord really says in His Word? Now, I'm not saying these situations come up every day, but when they do, I mean, it's good. To be, it's, you have to be prepared, and you'd like to be prepared. I can I can still remember one night. I mean, I was talking at. Uh, I think it was around midnight with one of my roommates in college. And we got into a discussion about the Bible. At one point, though, he asked me, because um, I told him that um, Jesus was God, and he asked me, I don't believe that, Mike. Take out your Bible and show that to me. One thing to think about, too, you know, all those skills and hobbies and talents I mentioned of course, they're not bad things in themselves. I mean, I, you know, I appreciate good music as much as anyone else. I, we've had many, I've heard many good recitals from people here. Of course, they're not good. They're not bad things to devote your time to, as long, of course, they don't consume your whole life. But they're temporary things, just like everything else on Earth. Whereas the Word of God will exist forever, and you're going to be using it forever. And one thing, too, the word is so deep that we can never master it. We can never get good enough at it. You know, some people we see out there, I mean, we say they have skills. We can say they have, perhaps they have mastered that sport, they have mastered that art form. But you can never really say you've mastered the word of God. That's also something we have to keep in constant practice with. I'm sure Amy probably practices piano like hours every day. Um, but, you know, let's say Amy did not practice for like a whole month. Or maybe two months. 
How would she sound? Sorry, don't, don't, I don't mean to embarrass you, but or like, or perhaps he stepped away from something for a longer time. I can know Sam and Jake are, and TJ, they've been into softball and baseball. What if they went a whole, like, five years without touching a ball? How would they play? It's this, way with, it's, this, it's this way with the Word of God. We have to keep in constant practice. We have to be constantly reading and having time with the Lord in this way. Perhaps you, perhaps you finished reading the Bible one year. Well, it's time to start again. And one beautiful thing about it, too, it's really never too late or too early to pick up the scripture. There's a lot, there's a lot of skills or talents out there that we actually, it's kind of sad, but we lose the ability to use as we age. Like perhaps someone um, is into a particular sport, but, you know, when you're age 60, it's probably not so good to be doing backflips or jumps. Or perhaps um, you might be a musician, but who knows, if you get arthritis in your hands when you're 80, you may not be playing the piano anymore. But uh, when you wield the Word of God, when you use the Word of God, you're not bound by age. It doesn't matter whether you were saved at 10 or whether you were saved at the age of 70. You can still become mighty in the Scripture. In fact, it gets better with age as you use it. Like I'm... Sure, like a person who is like 70 years old, who's been a believer for 40 years, they're probably much more skilled in the scripture than they were when they were 30. That's something we actually have no idea how old or how young Apollos was. There's nothing said about his age. Now, of course, I don't just want you to all think of being mighty in the scripture as getting good at a particular tool or talent. Really, it's about getting to know someone better. Really getting to know the Lord better. Because when you spend some time in the Word, you're really getting some time in communion with the Lord, giving Him some time to speak to you through His Word. And there's no such thing as ever spending too much time with the Lord. And really, we can't know Him well enough. Of course, the... Um, Knowing the Word of God is only part of being mighty in the Scriptures. Let's say I had let's say I had vast quantities of the Word of God of the Word of God memorized. Let's say if someone asked me to recite the Epistle of 1 Corinthians, I just roll it out. Would that make me mighty in the Scriptures? Not necessarily, because part of the might is in how the Word of God is applied. Do I see the word of God being used in this person's life? Now, perhaps I might know plenty of scripture about loving one's brother. I mean, perhaps I know, like there's a verse in 1 John, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. But if I don't show love towards my brothers here, I can't really use those verses. Or perhaps, you know, I'm, I'm... there's some verses in my head, like in, uh, in Ephesians, like how servants be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. But if I'm doing a poor job at work, I can't use those verses. 
Now, we don't see Apollos too much in the Scripture, but from what we do see of him, it looks like he lived out what he preached, and that he was a man with a godly character, that he not just had head knowledge of the Scriptures, but he knew how to use it in his life as well. Let's turn for a moment to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now, Apollos was someone who came to co-laborer with the Apostle Paul. We actually see Paul on occasion sending for him. Like in in another epistle, Paul says, uh, send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. He was was someone that Paul appeared to like using and like to work with. Then we see this verse in 1 Corinthians 16.12, where the Apostle Paul writes of him, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Now at first, when we we look at this verse by itself, it might seem a little strange. I mean, were Paul and Apollos having some kind of disagreement? Did they have a fight? What happened? But if you read through the epistles to the Corinthians, you know that you know that to say the least, the Corinthian church was a church with some serious problems. Paul may have wanted Apollos to go to Corinth in the first place because he thought you know Apollos could probably help him out with exhorting the Corinthian believers on the right path and saying them straight and correcting them and rebuking it as necessary. So why was Apollos unwilling to go to the Corinthian church, especially if you've been there before. Now, if you've been attending the first Corinthians class, you might have an idea why. One of the big problems with the Corinthian church was that there were some serious divisions among the people there. And many people had divided themselves along the lines of being followers of a particular teacher. I'm just going to read a verse earlier in 1 Corinthians. Paul points out to the Corinthians now I say to this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Now, Apollos saw this, and he wanted nothing to do with it. He wasn't interested in having his own set of followers. And he was afraid that if he came to Corinth, I mean, perhaps some of, some of these people who were saying, I am of Apollos, they might group around him, and it might just increase the divisions there. Apollos really demonstrates uh, in his life a couple of verses that Paul would write later. I'm just going to read uh, a couple other verses from 1 Corinthians 2. This is verses 1 and 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Apollos really had a not I, but Christ attitude. He really wanted people to be followers of the Lord, not of him, not of Apollos. Of course, there are many brothers and sisters who are probably dear to Apollos because he's probably spent a lot of time at Corinth. But the problem was 
he was a little too dear to them. So he did not go to Corinth. One other admirable character trait of Apollos, actually let's turn back to the book of Acts. Acts 18. Eighteen twenty-five, talking about Apollos' character again. What well, says this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. Fervent in spirit. Now the Greek word zeo can be translated as boiling over, as hot, zealous. It was like Apollos could not contain himself. I don't know. You ever have those moments where you're just kind of bursting at the seams to share some news with someone? Like maybe you knock on the door. There's something, there's something I have to tell you. And maybe your friend is, well, maybe they're, they're doing something. And they say, well, I don't have time right now. Maybe a little later we'll talk. Then you keep knocking. No, this can't wait. I really have to tell you something. And this, is how, this should be how we should be with the Word of God. We should be excited. We should be bubbling over to share it with people. After all, the gospel is in this book. You have the means. The way of showing someone eternal life is right here, right in your hands. The thing is, though, we can only show people, share the gospel if we know it and if we apply it in our own lives. Now, like Apollos, we should aspire to be mighty, as skilled in the word of God as we can be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. It's so beautiful and it's so rich and so deep. And we pray that... Uh, you would continue to give us insight into your word, Lord, that we would see greater things from it and get to know you better and better through it. You ask this in your son's name.